everyone. I'm Maike Slot and you're listening to Do We Click, a monthly research podcast on the digital relationship between journalists and their audiences. Do We Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam. This is episode 7, an episode in which we will explore the positive side of audience metrics. What can journalism gain from using numbers? I will tell you about my visit to Smart Octo, where I discussed the positive side of audience metrics with CEO Erik van Heeswijk. Numbers can save lives. This is the title of the first chapter of correspondent Sanne Blau's book entitled The Best Sold Book Ever, in which she discusses numbers' ability to lead, tempt, and mislead us. It's a chapter title that stems hopeful, and the story that Sanne tells us here really is... She takes us back to the Crimean War at the end of the 19th century, the time that Florence Nightingale was stationed as a nurse near Istanbul. She was horrified by the atrocities of the war and the deplorable sanitary conditions that British soldiers in the hospital had to endure. Half of them died, and mostly because of diseases that could have been prevented by better hygiene. Nightingale wasn't only a good nurse, she also was very fond of numbers. In an attempt to persuade the British government to improve the conditions on the battlefield, she used statistics and colorful diagrams. We would now call them infographics, in which she showed exactly the causes of mortality in the army in the East and how many of these deaths could have been prevented. The use of numbers added to her personal experience and made her argumentation exponentially more convincing. According to Sanna, Nightingale was one of the first to actually use graphs to make a change. Partly because of Nightingale's work, the authorities were convinced and decided to improve the situation. This paved the way for our current use of data, statistics, and metrics. The internet has made data collection easier than ever. This is visible in many societal domains, and journalism is not an exception. Data journalism can serve as an evident example. It is, as Ginald explains, using algorithms, large amounts of digital information and social science methods in combination with the traditional nose for news and ability to tell a compelling story. Already in the 1950s, journalists were actively making use of computers to enhance their reporting. They call it computer-assisted reporting then. And in 1952, a computer rightfully predicted that Eisenhower would win the elections in the United States. Since then, Data journalism has become a real asset in news production. The International Data Journalism Awards, organized by the Global Editors Network midway June this year, show a compelling lineup of great stories, all enabled by data analysis, from an article about the deaths after Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico to a website containing a hate crime watch in India. An investigative piece by Winnie de Jong and her colleagues from the Dutch national broadcaster NOS, used data from 25 modeling agencies to make a story about how thin you have to be to walk the catwalk. They received the Public Choice Award for it. All wonderful accomplishments which would not have been possible without the use of data and computers. Another example how data has been increasingly used in journalism is the use of audience metrics. Numbers about what the audience clicks on, how long they stay on a page, their scrolling behavior and what they like, share and comment on. As you probably know by now, 
I have focused on metrics as one way in which journalists and audiences relate to each other. It is therefore an important topic in my interviews. All news organizations I visit use metrics, although some are more advanced in this area than others. In many news organizations, screens are visible in a newsroom that display in real time the number of visitors on the websites of these news organizations. With popularity listings, numbers, arrows in green, orange, and red color, it's indicated which stories are taking off and which stories are clicked on less. In general, most journalists see the added value of using these numbers. It gives them clues about what audience members like, what they should focus on for follow-ups. It brings the audience closer. It is this positive side of audience metrics that I will focus on in this episode. Metrics are not gathered and analyzed by hand. News organizations use various software packages to gather, sort, analyze, and represent audience metrics. Some use Google Statistics, other more dedicated software such as Chartbeat. Because I kept hearing journalists speak about Smart Octo, both an analysis and decision-making tool, and because the company that created Smart Octo is Dutch, I decided to go and visit their office in Utrecht. There, I had an interesting conversation with Smart Octo's CEO, Erik van Heeswijk, about the value of audience metrics and how journalists should relate to them in a healthy way. Erik has a background in philosophy and journalism. He worked for a public broadcaster in the Netherlands and advised various editorial departments on how to integrate new technologies in their workflow. He has a thing for data and storytelling and is a firm believer in the possibilities data analysis offers to journalism. Unhappy with the existing software solutions for editorial departments, Eric decided, together with his business partner, to develop his own content analysis and decision-making tool for journalists, Smart Octo. Smart Octo segments, as they call it, actionable content analysis. The tool shows reach and engagement on story level, enabling journalists to take specific actions to boost their stories. Sounds interesting. But what problem is Smart Octo actually solving? There's no single media organization that has a lack of data. That doesn't exist. They usually have too much of it. The problem is thus not, do I have numbers or graphs? The heart of the matter is, what are significant numbers and graphs and visualizations to guide you in your decision? Looking at the numbers at the editorial department is only useful if you can connect an action to it. By acknowledging that journalists are not necessarily trained in data analysis and that they need to spend their time efficiently in a challenging work environment, the software makes it easier for them to understand what these data actually mean in the context of their own stories and what they can do with it. It turns data into information and tips that they can work with in real time. That brings me to my next question. Why is it important for journalists to know that? There are multiple reasons for this. Successful stories give cause for making them even more successful. You can do that, for example, by tweaking the story a bit, adapting it, or place it better. You can always get more traction out of a successful story or give it a follow-up. And you can only have a specific time window for this. Every journalist knows that after a week, most stories are usually dead. Secondly, you need to know in which story you should not put 
any energy. If there is no journalistic need, no impact, no need to write something, then you should just leave it. I find this an interesting learning point. Data can nudge us to push our stories forward, but also teach us to stop doing something. Many editorial departments I visit, especially the regional ones, do a lot. They try to cover practically everything that's happening in their province. Deciding to save time, energy and money by being more selective is difficult, but might pay off when done carefully. This might be a longer-term learning objective because it's quite difficult. The reason for this is that it ties in with the audience dilemma that I discussed earlier. There might be some stories that you feel are very important. Eric calls them signature stories. But that do not seem to gain enough engagement with the audience. Decision-making software should not simply discard these stories based on the lack of attention and low audience metrics. That makes journalism significantly different from regular businesses. A shoe brand can easily discontinue to sell a particular type of shoe when demand for it is too low. News organizations have a public task and can do that without jeopardizing their important function in our society. Eric stresses this fact and also explains that the software can help with pushing a not-so-well-read story forward. In journalism, we are not only interested in the number of clicks. So when you know that you have a difficult story, sometimes the subject already indicates that. But sometimes it doesn't. Then the software can teach you that you need to give it some extra attention. I also asked Eric how he defines engagement. And he stated that engagement is everything the audience does in addition to just consuming the content. So clicking, reading, viewing and listening is just not necessarily engagement. It falls under consumption. But liking, commenting, writing a comment, getting a subscription, going to an event or discussing content is. Eric admits that the software is not yet capable of including everything that falls under the heading of engagement. The system is not completely there. We're primarily measuring the social metrics that are called engagement, likes, comments, and shares. But a new point to note, we are also already including what happens in the forum. We could measure it in way more depth than we do now, and that is what we're working on. We disagree on the fact that the traditional way of measuring engagement in online media is quite limited. But what can we do to make the numbers more representative of what engagement really is? Maybe part of the answer lies in personalizing your goals for success and trying to catch that in numbers. These can be softer numbers, such as the number of times articles from a newspaper lead to questions asked in Parliament, or how often you are invited to speak at an event. Eric stresses that you should take numbers as an indication for something, but you should not always take them too literally. When I ask Eric to what extent every journalist should learn how to work with numbers, he's careful in his answer. For many, a simple tool that will provide practical tips and tricks based on data will be enough. But there's always part of an editorial department that is interested in numbers or has a more strategical position that will require working with analytics. With them, SmartOcta has conversations about the specific design of the system to suit the needs and ambitions of the particular news organization that they're working with. The system is thus personalized. But it also needs to fit with a culture in an organization. Not all journalists are equally ready to accept and appropriate a software tool like this. 
In our discussion, Eric and I established that data can only be turned into valuable information if it is placed in a useful context. Some stories will easily find a mass audience, such as news about a horrible accident. For some reason, many people are interested in other human suffering. News about celebrities or other nationally relevant breaking news. While other stories serve a much smaller niche audience or are less engaging by itself. The data on these stories cannot be treated similarly, although they still mostly are. In many editorial departments, the top 10 of most read articles are circulated. Not the top 10 of articles that did great in their personal category, or the top 10 list of articles that did not perform really well but should have done much better because they're signature stories. Nonetheless, Eric is quite positive of future developments in this area. I think we're heading toward a future in journalism in five to ten years where every story will have its own personal metric. Some stories will be targeted at loyal audience members, other to generate engagement, or others to convince people to subscribe. I call this the journalistic buffet. On this buffet, there are a lot of different dishes presented, and they all need to be valued differently. I think we're heading toward a system in which you will determine for every story what is the reason we're making this story and what is our target audience. And that will be determining for the metrics that will be linked to it. And if a story scores well on a different metric, that is then no reason to celebrate, because then it's performing on something that it wasn't meant to. Although Smart Doctor is not yet capable of doing just that, it might be the direction in which they are heading. Eric indicates, for example, that the software can already integrate some form of sentiment analysis. Not based on language, though, but based on engagement metrics. We can already measure which author evokes what type of sentiment. And if this is a normal sentiment for that author. And this will enable us in the future to measure who are the more controversial columnists. This feature might become stronger when a well-developed text-based sentiment analysis is also integrated in the tool, although this probably will raise other questions to be answered. News organizations do need to realize that this development has strategic consequences for the whole process of news production. It means that you flip the process. Instead of analyzing what your stories have done after publication, you need to think about the mix of different types of content and your goals with this content beforehand. At this point in time, and with the way the editorial process is organized, this is too time-consuming and complicated to do so on a daily basis. In the future, news organizations should develop ways to understand this layeredness of stories and data better. What I observe in my interviews with journalists so far is that most of them are pretty positive about the application of data. They see the added value of it. They understand that it's important to engage the audience and that data can help them find ways to do that. When software tools are primarily facilitating them in their professional practices, for example by suggesting to come up with a different title or to urge them to write a follow-up, they find this an acceptable role for technology. I do think that a software system that goes way beyond that, for example by suggesting topics to write about or more content-based instructions, that journalists will have more reservations and objections. Another frustration that I observe is that the focus on prioritizing and boosting stories that are already doing well 
is frustrating for journalists who see their less-read stories disappear from the app and website very quickly. Journalists especially feel this way when these stories are based on in-depth research or when they cover topics that are very close to the journalist's heart. Eric does understand this frustration. He's also critical about it. I certainly understand this frustration. You want your story to be read. And when the system shows that your article is not doing well, yes, that is frustrating. Especially when you've worked on it for three days or a month. It's difficult. There are two elements to this. This was also the case back in the days, but it wasn't visible. So don't shoot the pianist. And now you know it. The second element is, and this might sound odd coming from me, you shouldn't let the data guide you to always put the stories up front that the data recommend. I think it's very important that journalists sometimes make stories that they find important. And you need to use the data to give those stories the best place possible. This means that knowing about the data requires a new form of discipline from journalists and managers in news organizations. It might be tempting to optimize based on what scores, but it's of the utmost importance to not follow the data blindly, but stay focused on professional journalistic practices and considerations. Eric underlines that you need to adapt the metrics to your personal ideas of what journalism should be and the engagement that you want to have with your audience, not the other way around. That sounds like a healthy way of dealing with data in newsrooms. To my questions, if schools of journalism should pay attention to these kinds of skills in their curricula, Eric answers positively. Journalists should be trained in analyzing content and data strategies. If anything, to be able to think critically and, if necessary, rebel against decisions made by management in the future. To close off the discussion, I ask Eric what Smart Octo is not good at. And the answer is interesting. He divides the content of a news organization based on a Google model of content. Hygiene, hub, and hero content. Hygiene content, the base of the pyramid, is very basic and service-like content that you publish regularly. The weather, sports results, where to find a parking spot at a festival. Hub content is the middle layer and represents valuable content for regular audience members. They come back to your website and app often. Examples are follow-ups after a big news event or an interview with a local politician about some new regulation. Hero content is the top of the pyramid. Content with a lot of impact, content that took a lot of effort to make, that has a very personal signature or contains a higher level of storytelling than usual. Smart Octo is not yet valuable for every type of content. The lower you get on this pyramid, the better Smart Octo can be of assistance. Because the metrics are quite simple. To give you an example, when you make an article, Smart Octo will be capable, in time, of coming up with a title of a tweet and sending it out at the right time. This is not that difficult. You don't need editors for that. But an extensive long read about something very important in society and how to illustrate that, that's something on the top of the pyramid, something that is really at the human level of storytelling, on that level, the data still doesn't compute very well. The software finds it very difficult to analyze it. 
The craft of human storytelling is so important for this type of content as compared to what the data tells us. This is what data systems are not very good at. They can play chess very well, but they can't paint. Thus, it's possible to automate a lot of things and to let the software take control of the lower-level forms of content. To end this podcast on a positive note, this might increase the efficiency of news organizations. At the end of the day, it would be great if data analysis tools could provide journalists with more freedom and time to write about things that really matter. But be careful, a lot depends upon the way that the tools are further designed and put into practice in news organizations. Next podcast, I will flip the coin and discuss a more critical side of the discussion. What numbers cannot teach us. That was it for now. Next time... I'll tell you more. Will you click again? Dewey Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam.